0: In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, as I finish up the week, I want to remind you one more time that we are in the middle of Pride Month, an entire 30 days on our national calendar dedicated to one of the seven deadly sins. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Yes, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to finish up the week by talking about a topic that I've already addressed more than once. I've written an article on it for The Washington Times. I've talked about it here on this show in more than one episode. But this is very important, people, and I want you all to get the point. We are in the process, as a country, as a nation, of having an entire month, the month of June, 30 days, 30 consecutive days dedicated to the celebration of what the church has traditionally defined as one of the seven deadly sins. On today's show, I'm going to go to C.S. Lewis one more time, and I'm going to go to his book, Mere Christianity, where he has an entire chapter on pride, and why it's wrong, and why it is the sin that leads to all others. He also distinguishes between the right admiration and celebration of others for their accomplishments, such as being proud of your country and proud of your son or your daughter for their accomplishments. And he shows us the difference between that and sinful pride. I'm going to ask you the question, which is it? that we're celebrating in the streets while we march in parades, shouting we're loud and we're proud. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break, and I will be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. Uh, Yeah, I want to talk about pride one more time, because I'm not too sure our country gets this. I'm not too sure our communities get this. I'm not sure our schools get it. Or even our churches get it. So I'm going to be guilty of repetition, repetition, repetition one more time. I want to go back to the well, and I want to talk about this issue of pride. Why? Well, we're taking 30 days to celebrate it in our country, so surely I can spend three or four of my episodes here on the rebellion talking about it, can't I? Now, you know, in one of my previous shows, I went through a bunch of the Bible verses, not all of them. I could spend show after show if I included all of the Bible verses that include a reference to and a condemnation of pride. Some of them that I've already shared with you are as follows. In the Proverbs, written by Solomon, we're told that pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech God hates. One more time, God hates pride and arrogance, the way of evil and perverted speech. Do you think he hates what we're talking about right now and doing as we march in the streets? Perverted speech? Hmm. Way of evil? Hmm. Just look at the costumes. The sexually provocative and the sexually debauched costumes of those that are marching in these pride parades. I mean, my goodness, one of the things they were handing out in one of the parades were beanie babies with large, and I'm sorry to say it, but this is what It was. Large penises. They were handing these out in pride parades to children. We should call this grooming month rather than pride month because that's what we're doing. We're grooming our children to accept this way of life, this way of thinking. We're we're softening the edges of their conscience, dumbing down their conscience so that they don't even think of this as being odd or inappropriate or... Dare I say sinful? I mean, my wife and I went to a movie yesterday. We went to the uh, the new Top Gun movie, which was good, by the way. We enjoyed it, but the advertisements that led up to the movie, which are way too many, by the way, we sat there for 25 minutes having to endure all these advertisements before we could watch the show. It's a different topic for a different time, I suppose. But my point is. So many of the advertisements were cultural indoctrination, indoctrination on global warming and climate change. I mean, there were several commercials preceding the movie that were brainwashing the audience into accepting this unproven theory of climate change and how if we all don't go with electric cars, the world is going to fall apart. Nobody bothers to ask the question, where is the electricity coming from? You have to generate it with something, and it's not being productively generated by windmills. They don't do the job, people. And the same people that want windmills are tearing down our dams. So hydro-generated electricity is evil, nuclear-generated electricity is evil, Electricity generated through coal-fired plants or natural gas is evil. So where do they think you're going to get the energy, the electricity, to plug into for your electric car? It doesn't come from thin air. That's a different topic for a different time. It just aggravates me that I have to watch these stupid commercials at a movie. It's not why I'm there. And everybody sits in there like mindless lemmings. It's Orwellian. It's Orwellian sitting in there like mindless lemmings, nodding obediently to these dumb commercials. One of them was a debauched commercial celebrating June as the month of pride. You saw guys in drag. You saw same-sex couples. Uh, it, it just went on and on and on, celebrating pride. The Bible tells us that pride and arrogance in the way of evil, and perverted speech, perverted communication. Can I... Can I Amend that just a bit, the Piper paraphrase, perverted communication, God hates. Does God hate those commercials? It's perverted, it's twisted, it's upside down, it's communication that takes you away from the truth rather than toward it. James tells us, St. James, in the Epistle of James, in the New Testament says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Like I said in my previous show, why aren't we having a month of humiliation of humility, where we're repentant rather than arrogant, rather than proud. Proverbs again, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, such people will not go unpunished. Proverbs again, haughty eyes and a proud heart are the lamp of the wicked, and they are sinful. James tells us again, humble yourself before the Lord. He doesn't say, be proud before the Lord, does he? And then I could go on and on. I've read a lot of these to you already. One of the things that we hear during Pride Month is that love is love. Well, what is love? What's the definition of it? Well, one of the quintessential definitions of love, a definition that has been read at thousands upon thousands, if not millions of weddings throughout the centuries, is first Corinthians. First First Corinthians thirteen, the love chapter. Like I've said before, the least offensive passage in all of the Bible. The love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind. Well, what else does it say about love? It says it says this Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. Does that sound like the definition of love is the antithesis of pride. Love is not arrogant. Love is humble. Love doesn't boast. Are we boasting that we're loud and we're proud? Are we boasting of our sexual appetites? Are we making them public rather than keeping them private? Are we defining ourselves by them rather rather than acknowledging that our appetites are not the sum total of who we are? Now, There are other statements about pride outside of Scripture. I hinted at them the other day. Some of them are as follows. Thomas Aquinas says that pride is so-called because a man aims higher than he is. He who wishes to overstep what he is is proud. Isn't that what we're doing in our streets right now? We're redefining ourselves. We're overstepping who we biologically are and we're claiming to be something that we are not we're aiming higher if you will than who we are overstepping who we are denying the reality of who we are and claiming something that we're not overstepping what he is a man becomes proud again that's thomas aquinas one of the one of the books that has traditionally been cited in Jewish culture, but is not included in the Old Testament, but is worthy of reading is Sirach, S-I-R-A-C-H. And Sirach 10.12 says this, Pride is like a fountain pouring out sin, and whoever persists in it is full of wickedness. Pretty clear, right? How about Chaucer? Chaucer says this, The root of all these seven sins... The general root of all harm is pride. The root of all of these seven sins, the seven deadly sins, the root of all of them is pride. It's the root of all harms. That's Chaucer. Augustine said pride despises the more just dominion of a higher authority. We're going to be the highest authority of all. We don't need anybody telling us anything any longer. We're we're loud and we're proud. That's what Augustine is confronting. And then I've cited Hayek earlier this week, the economist who wrote The Road to Serfdom, the seminal work that many conservatives cite. He's saying that pride is the fatal conceit. It's the road to serfdom. It's pride that is the seed of all that ails us, says von Hayek. And then there's Lewis. And I'm going to spend the rest of the show citing Lewis. He has an entire chapter in Mere Christianity, an entire chapter dedicated to the sin of pride. In fact, the chapter is titled The Great Sin. Now, why would Lewis do that? Mere Christianity, he's trying to make a defense for mere Christianity, not denominational distinctions. He's just presenting an apologetic, a defense for a defense for Christianity being real and true and right and just. As a former atheist, he's coming before the British people, and he presented a series of broadcasts during World War II. He was asked to do so by the British Broadcasting Corporation. Why would they do that? They knew that the British people needed some glue to hold them together during this crisis. They were being attacked by the Third Reich. People were afraid. They knew that if they didn't fend off Hitler, that they would be controlled by him. Europe had fallen, and Great Britain was standing nearly alone with Winston Churchill as their leader, saying, we shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight in the air, we shall never surrender. That's the recording, that's his speech that I use as the introduction to this show. Well, in the midst of all of that, with that as the context, the British Broadcasting Corporation asked not Winston Churchill, but C.S. Lewis to give a series of broadcasts to encourage the British people and remind them of the glue that held the British Empire together. And what was that glue? It was Christianity. Christianity, and he knew that many in Great Britain had abandoned it, had discarded it as myth as fairy tales rather than reality. And he was giving an intellectual and spiritual, an ontological, an epistemological defense of Christianity. That's the point of Mere Christianity. It's the collection of all of those broadcasts. All of those broadcasts put under one cover, one cover so that you and I could read them today. One of the most popular books that have ever been printed. Mere Christianity. You need to read it if you haven't and read it in the context of what i just said it is a collection of broadcasts and one of the broadcasts that he did was on pride now isn't that interesting in the midst of the british people being proud of their country and worth and considering it worthy of their sacrifice of their very lives lewis agreed with that by the way he fought in world war 1 for that cause i mean he was he was injured in the trenches of World War I. This man knew the evils and the, the, the horrors of war. He lived through both of the world wars, World War I and World War II. He's an older man now. He's in his 40s during World War II, so he was, old, he was too old to serve as a soldier, but he wasn't too old to serve as an orator, as a communicator, as a teacher, as an Oxford don. And here's one of the things he says in the opening sentences of his broadcast and chapter in Mere Christianity, broadcast for the BBC, later published in this book, Mere Christianity. Here's what he says. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. I have heard people admit that they are bad-tempered or that they cannot keep their heads about girls or drink or even that they are cowards. I do not think I have ever heard anyone who was not a Christian accuse himself of this vice, however. And at the same time, I have very seldom met anyone who was not a Christian who showed the slightest mercy to it in others. There is no fault which makes man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we see it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. What is he talking about? He says this in the next sentence, the next paragraph. The vice I'm talking about is pride. And the virtue opposite to it is called humility. You, ain't, you may remember, he says, when I was talking about sexual immorality, I warned you that the center of Christian morals did not lie there in the discussion of sexuality or morality in that context. We well know that we have come to the center of Christianity now because we're talking about. Pride. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice and utmost evil is pride, he says. Turning the page here. And unchastity, anger, greed, and drunkenness, and all of that are mere flea bites in comparison to pride. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Now, that's the take-home. That's the seminal quote from C.S. Lewis. I'm going to read it again. You need to hear me on this. You need to hear Lewis on this. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all of that, says Lewis, are mere flea bites in comparison. Pride leads to every other vice. All of these vices are born in the soil of pride. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Lewis goes on and he says this, if you want to find out how proud you are, the easiest way is to ask yourself, how much do I dislike it when other people show their pride to me? Each person's pride is in comparison to every other person's pride. Pride is competitive. He spends several uh, paragraphs talking about that, how pride is defined because you elevate yourself above others. You, You think you're better than everybody else. You should be affirmed, and they should be affirming you, because it's about you. Everything's about you. Does that sound like what we're celebrating in our streets and in our country right now and in our schools? Self-actualization, self-affirmation. You need to agree with me. You must affirm me. You you, You must applaud me. You must agree with everything I say, everything I do, every action I engage in. I demand that you celebrate it. Now, during the month of June, during the month of pride, you must be one of us. You must act like us, think like us, talk like us. You must be exactly like me, or we will cancel you. We will expel you. We will ignore you. We'll even make your thoughts illegal. They will be declared as hate crimes because if you express those thoughts on paper or on a radio show or from the pulpit during a political campaign, we're going to accuse you of an actual crime. We'll scream and we'll pout and we'll, we'll demand that we have cry rooms on our college campuses. We will demand that we get coloring books and teddy bears because you've offended us. You've hurt our feelings. We're loud and we're proud. We're better than you. You people are rubes. You're thoughtful, deplorables. You're, you're hateful. Your disagreement is synonymous with hate, actually, because if you disagree with us, the superior ones, the ones that actually have arrived, the ones with gnosis, real knowledge, if you disagree with us, then you obviously are a thoughtless Neanderthal, dragging your knuckles as you hold your Bible, or your gun, or both, in your other hand. That that That's the way the debate is taking place, isn't it? I mean, Nancy Pelosi actually tears up the speech of the President of the United States. It's a perfect example of the arrogance, the pride. She's better than him in comparison—now we're getting back to the issue— of pride always being an issue of comparison. Nancy Pelosi thinks she's better than Donald Trump and better than you. Hillary Clinton thinks she's better than all of the basket of deplorables. Mayor Bloomberg thinks he's better than all those farmers that just plant seeds in the dirt. Remember that analogy that he used? Because he says you lack a gray matter. I mean, it's all an issue of comparison, isn't it? It's the celebration of superiority, of us over them, of the 99 over the 1. It's the entire philosophical foundation of Marxism, which is the foundation of Black Lives Matter, which is the foundation of critical theory. I mean, the reason we're talking about this stuff is our entire educational system is about the perpetuation of pride right now. Like Lewis says, the sexual sin is the inferior component to this discussion. We're really not talking about sex any longer. We're talking about pride. And and they admit it. We're We're not celebrating a month of sex, right? That's not what it's called. We're celebrating a month of pride. Because sexual activity, the sexual component of Pride Month, is secondary. It's ancillary. Oh, I'm not discarding it. I, I do disagree with people that behave unbiblically when it comes to sex. I think there are consequences that come with it. I've talked over and over again how I can solve, I can cure STDs right now. You can. We all can if we just behave biblically. If we stay within the boundaries of the sexual ethic as is described by the Bible, we don't have to worry about STDs, right? I mean, I don't worry about it. My wife doesn't worry about it. Why? Because we're within the boundaries described by the Bible. It's only those people that jump outside of that fence, outside of the fences of sexual freedom that have been given to us by God that have to worry about the consequences of being held in bondage and slavery to physical diseases that come as the consequences of jumping out of that fence. So, What led people to jump outside of that fence of freedom is what Lewis would call pride. Some might say, no, it's lust or it's uh, desire, it's passion. Well, that's part of it, but those things can be controlled through humility. You humble yourself to the guy that built the fence around you in the first place, recognizing that he understands the need for that fence, for you to enjoy the freedom of the property that he owns, if you humble yourself accordingly, you're not going to pridefully try to get outside of the corral. That's the point here. We're celebrating pride over and over again in every decision we made that is against the authority of God. It's the po- complete anti-God state of mind, says Lewis. Lewis. It's the conceit to the road of serfdom, says von Hayek. Pride despises the more just dominion of a higher authority, says Augustine. Going back to those quotes that I started the show with. Pride is the general root of all harm, says Chaucer. It's the root of all these seven sins. Again, Chaucer. And back to Sirach, chapter 10, Verse 12, pride is the fountain pouring out sin, and whoever persists in it is full of wickedness. Pride goeth before a fall, says Solomon. And Lewis? He who is proud would rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. Again, that's Lewis. Now, is Being proud of your nation sinful? No, because that's not self-centered. That's not selfishness. Being proud of your nation, willing to give yourself for its cause, for the freedom that it represents, for the ideals. That's selflessness. That's not selfishness. That's the opposite, the antithesis of sinful pride. Being proud of your son's accomplishments. Well, as long as you're proud of him and not proud of you because you're his dad or his mom, then there's a huge difference between those two things, isn't it? Isn't there a huge difference? You're proud of somebody else. You're taking great satisfaction in their accomplishment. accomplishments. You're rejoicing with them. That's a, that's a very different thing than the narcissism of the selfish focus of how you're better than everybody else. So if you're affirming your son or daughter for their accomplishments, great, as long as those accomplishments are biblical. But if you're elevating yourself because as their father or their mother, you're the better one, you're the better dad and mom in the room, you're the better parent, then you've jumped from being grateful and celebrating the successes of others to elevating yourself as the cause and the source of those successes. That's the difference here, folks. Pride goeth before a fall. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Pride despises a more just dominion of a higher authority. So as I finish out the week, I say with a bit of sarcasm dripping, though it may be. Happy Pride Month, everyone. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.